Good morning. My name is Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling. Just looking at the, we're, we were hearing that the GoFundMe campaign for the Humboldt Broncos had eclipsed the seven million dollar mark. Uh, just looking at the the website right now, still showing at six point seven million. So perhaps uh, there's an unofficial update uh, on that that will then make its way to the website but greg the one thing that i'm seeing here one headline is that it's the among the five highest ever yeah gofundme campaigns topped only by four other campaigns including times up uh, legal defense funds so that's pretty incredible it really is money from all over the world flowing in and support sometimes you know you feel so helpless uh, but what what can i do in a time like this and uh, clearly these families of both the survivors and the, the families of the victims are going to need supports of of all sorts to get through this and and you know i always make the analogy with with when my kids were born and spent time in the NICU and there's a, a nurse standing there talking about the next month of my children's lives, the first month of their lives in the NICU with all this complicated equipment and this high level of, of health care. In a lot of places, you got to make a phone call to your insurance company and find out who's going to pay for this. Do I have enough insurance to cover this? Do I have any money in my bank account to cover this? And and you didn't have to worry about it in any way, shape, or form. And I think that's part of the goal here is for those families to not have to worry about if they need counseling, if they need a little bit of help with whatever it might be, that there will be money there for them to, 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 to help ease their pain. You can't buy happiness, but it, it can buy stress relief on a lot of fronts. And we're going to have a number of conversations about this uh, topic this morning uh, because we have uh, Breakfast with the Bombers, for example, at 7.37. We will speak with offensive lineman Patrick Newfeld, who is from Saskatchewan. He right. is from Regina. He played football at the University of Saskatchewan, and uh, he will offer us some insight from being in Saskatchewan. Looking forward to that conversation. Uh, we're also going to speak with Maria Matusis, who went through uh, her own ordeal a few years back in Winnipeg, a rather high-profile, uh, terrible tragedy. Yes, and she's going to talk about how social media and the expressions of concern and support that flowed through the GoFundMe page that was initiated and set up for her, uh, Facebook, how those messages of hope and support really helped her through her difficult time. So we'll talk about that. I think we're, part of today is going to take maybe that healing process one step further. We were at our Win Local event at the One Great City uh, Brewing Company last night, and thanks for everyone who came out and everyone who tried to qualify over the last several weeks. We'll talk about that event. We, we, we had a, a moment of silence last night because it just didn't feel right to be celebrating uh, at full throat without acknowledging what was going on in Saskatchewan. And you could have heard a pin drop for the 25 or 30 seconds of, of silence that, that we had last night. This is still hitting people hard. Uh, I've got hockey sticks on my porch next to my front door, as thousands of Canadians have done that. That little 
initiative. We'll talk about that during having coffee talking. That that that's helping people feel involved in this, and it's it's symbolic, absolutely. Uh, but it is uh, part of the healing process for for a lot of folks as well. And we, if you have any suggestions for that conversation, you can weigh in at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. We're going to be talking about some of the the good things, some of the things that the hopeful things that have come out of this terrible tragedy. Uh, so many different stories. We just highlighted one, which is the GoFundMe campaign, which has raised millions and millions of dollars. That's one example. The sticks on the porch. That's another example. So if there's anything that's jumped out at you and uh, given you hope in this uh, dark time, you can let us know at 204-780-6868. Liz Cox has texted us this morning. She was at the Win Local event last night at One Great City Brewing Company, and she just wanted to say thanks for last evening at Win Local. It was a great time, even though Brett crushed my hopes in the first round but my husband and I had a nice time. It was nice to meet many CJOB staff. Thanks, Liz Cox, and uh, my condolences, Liz, on crushing your dreams. We had the way it worked last night is we had nearly fifty qualifiers uh, show up, and we eliminated ten at a time until we were down to six, and then we were down to four or two, and it was uh, Jody Luprepa who was the eventual victor. So we're going to speak to her at 7.15 this morning. So, sorry, Liz. There can be, as they say in Highlander Town, there can be only one. <laughs> it was a it was a great time to be sure. Yeah, we'd love your text messages on, on, on how we handle things over the next uh, 24 hours or so. We're, we're trying to... Let's put it this way. Our conversation that we have in the morning and throughout the day, we try to be reflective of of how you're feeling and what's going on in your world. So let us know how you're dealing with all this, 204-780-6868, or email gmac, G-M-A-C-K, at cjob.com, or brett, B-R-E-T-T, at cjob.com by email. Officials at Saskatoon's Royal University Hospital say two of the 14 injured in Friday's deadly hockey bus crash in Saskatchewan have been released from hospital. But they say of the 12 people still hospitalized, four are in critical condition. 15 people aboard the Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team's bus died in that crash with a truck while en route to a playoff game in Nipawan, Saskatchewan. The GoFundMe page created the night of the accident has so far raised over $6.7 million for the survivors and for the families of those who lost loved ones. Global News Saskatoon's Adam McVicker joins us once again live from Humboldt, Saskatchewan. And Adam, one of the, of course, the big things that we learned yesterday, uh, rather shocking things that we learned yesterday, involved the mix-up between Xavier LaBelle and Parker Tobin. What uh, was some of the reaction that you gleaned uh, from the community after that news was revealed yesterday? A lot of shock here in Humboldt over that news yesterday over the, the, the misidentification of the players, but a lot of understanding as well. I, I took a, a, a quote from Sheldon Kennedy yesterday during a scrum after one of the press conferences where he said, there shouldn't be finger pointing right now. And there hasn't been too, too much. As we heard from the Ministry of Justice yesterday, uh, the parents and the families, they, they were very apologetic towards the parents and the families, the Ministry of Justice, but they also said the families were very understanding. Obviously, a lot of factors, a lot of fluidity in this situation. So uh, there is definitely a lot of shock, a lot of sadness for those families, but definitely understanding here. 
in Humboldt. So now uh, the community of Spruce Grove, Alberta, Parker Tobin's hometown, now deals with uh, what really was a, a sense of relief, I imagine, in believing that Parker had survived the crash to now of, of sadness, uh, knowing that he had passed. So there's going to be a vigil in his honor in Spruce, Spruce Grove tomorrow night. Yeah, we're hearing about uh, some some more kind of popping up around um, around the people's hometowns. Uh, slowly but surely, these things are going to start to uh, occur. I know there's one scheduled in Saskatoon later this week for one of the other players from Saskatoon. So that now we're going to start to see these memorials, these celebrations of life as uh, as these 15 are you know laid to rest. So, Adam, what is the the general mood then? Because one of the things that we're starting to notice is more stories of hope, uh, more uh, positive stories that are emerging uh, in the wake of this tragedy. So are you seeing that as well in the community of Humboldt? That's the thing. I've had a lot of people talk to me and ask me, obviously reporting on the scene here, how are you, how am I doing it? And the thing is, there's, that's the main thing I'm seeing is a lot of positivity, a lot of hope. You know, people are coming to the arena. They are taking their time and paying their respects. There is still a lot of sadness, a lot of grief in this community and across Saskatchewan right now for this for this town and for this team. Um, but a lot of hope, a lot of people are coming together, doing what they can to help out this team. Uh, obviously, there's a T-shirt shop that's, that's making shirts to help donate money. The local A&W has a sign-up today that says all money they generate in sales today is going to go to the team. The GoFundMe page. Uh, plenty of people doing just what they can to help out, and that's what we're seeing here. It's, 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 it's people coming together in in the midst of a tragedy. And it's a beautiful thing to come out of something so terrible. Adam, uh, the one thing that has blown me away on my Facebook page this morning, I was scrolling through my feed and was overwhelmed by how many people had left hockey sticks uh, next to their front door with a light on overnight, uh, an initiative that we're going to discuss a, a little bit in our next segment. But I imagine you've heard about this and it's really symbolic, but also a part of the healing process, I think. It, it, was, it almost seemed like Almost every home in Saskatoon uh, last night had a stick out front. Some people putting a headset out front saying, you know, Tyler Bieber might want to uh, call the uh, call the game. And some, um, sorry, getting a little emotional talking about this. Very, it's, uh, it's, it's honestly a very, it's a nice thing to see people doing. And uh, some people putting also some paper and pens out for the statistician who lost his life in the crash. So, um, you know, people just showing their support for this team. And it's, it's, it's spreading like, crazy throat here, throat across Saskatchewan, across the country. It's a beautiful thing to see. Adam, I uh, can hear the emotion in your voice. This has got to be weighing on you. It's been it's been a, in, in definitely an interesting few days, to say the least. Uh, uh, we were called into uh, to Nipawin uh, when the crash happened. I was there uh, at the barricade uh, Friday night. We stayed in Nipawin on Saturday. A lot of stories of hope in Nipawin. I spoke to the Nipawin Hawks coach there uh, once once the team met at the arena uh, in Humboldt yesterday, uh, uh, Sunday rather, and yesterday uh, for the vigil and just to to cover what's going on here. Um, and it's been it's been definitely been an interesting few days. But like I said, the stories of hope, the stories of people coming together, seeing the community uh, coming together, it's been something very, very special. And uh, I've never seen anything like it in my life. All right, Adam, thank you so much for this. We're actually going to speak with Adam McVicker once again coming up after the 8 o'clock news here on 680 CJOB. Adam is our Global News colleague in Saskatoon, joining us this morning from Saskatchewan. Lots of us still reeling from the Humboldt Broncos tragedy.
But out of these tragic events, we've been seeing the country come together with different ways of support, whether it be financial, uh, organ donation uh, sign-up is through the roof, blood donation is uh, rising in our country uh, as people look for a way to participate, to show their grief, but to also heal. Kelly Moore, Shanley Vidal, Jeff Braun join us. And uh, Shanley, this has been a really tough four or five days for a lot of the country, but th- there is a, a lot of hopefulness being being shown by Canadians, by folks around the world because of this tragedy. Absolutely. And it's actually really overwhelming, just the sheer amount of support and kindness that everybody across the, the country has been showing. And that GoFundMe page, it's probably going to gonna get well past 7 million. It's probably going to end up being past 10 million and that's just in a couple of days there's local fundraisers here in winnipeg that are going on to contribute money um like you said organ donation blood donation it's making people um think think okay if i can't contribute financially i i want to you know i i want to contribute some some other way and it's just i can't even think of one one thing because all of it is just just so amazing and so incredible and just just it's just overwhelmingly kind you know, there, there have been some, and there are so many uh, instances of, of kindness and support that have happened, but these are just a few of the snapshots. Uh, on Saturday, the Saskatoon, or the Travel Lodge uh, Saskatoon, uh, put out a, a tweet right away. Families, if you need a place to stay, it's on us at no cost. WestJet stepping up to say to families, hey, if you need to get there, we'll get you there. Uh, Kelly Taylor. Uh, comedian. I think you guys have, uh, have you had him on the show before? I don't know. I don't know where he was, whether it was Calgary, Edmonton or Vancouver, but he tweeted out that they started to make an announcement about uh, anybody in the boarding gate area. If you have a seat uh, for Saskatoon, we're trying to get parents to humble. Before they even finished the message, there was a lineup of people uh, willing to give up their seats. When does that ever happen? Uh, and one of my favorite stories is... <laughs> I know the one you're going to well, tell. No, I'm saving that for somebody else. Are you calling else. an audible? I'm calling an audible, yeah. I'll, I'll save that for somebody else. But the, in, in a restaurant, and I'm not sure where it was, uh, but this junior hockey team is having a, a, a team meal, and this gentleman says, hey, I'm picking up the tab for you. It was about $300. What does the hockey team do? They turn around because they budgeted to eat there anyway and gave that money to uh, the Humboldt uh, GoFundMe page. Just And those are just snapshots. I mean... You know, one or you know, a couple of, of thousands of thousands of stories of good faith. That was in Nova Scotia, and that yes. is the story that I thought you were oh, going okay. to tell yeah. because I, I I caught that one too, and it's just the, the little things like that that really resonate with me. How about you, Jeff? Yeah, I saw a tweet from I, I gathered it was like from a farmer that lived near the crash site, and much like the hotel chain, he's like, "Look, we got extra bedrooms in our yeah. house. If you're if you need to be in this area from far away, come stay with us. We'll we'll take you in." Yeah, just looking at the the GoFundMe page, uh, which is at six point, hang on, six point seven one six million dollars right now. Again, this thing started with a goal of ten thousand dollars on Friday night. It is now one of the top five GoFundMe campaigns ever. The the biggest to date is Times Up Legal Defense Fund, which has raised twenty one point five million dollars since uh, December 
2017. The second largest campaign is the Las Vegas Victims Fund, which raised $11.8 million in the aftermath of that mass shooting that left 58 people dead and 851 injured. The third largest is the Support Victims of Pulse Shooting Campaign, $7.8 million. That was after the June 2016 shooting in at a gay nightclub in Orlando. And uh, the Stoneman Douglas Victims Fund raised $6.7 million. Uh, that was 17 people were killed, 17 others injured in a February 28 school shooting. And uh, the March for Our Lives campaign had raised $3.5 million in fifth place. That was launched to support the student-led protest for stricter gun control. So now the uh, the Humboldt campaign is in the top five, which is pretty incredible. We have had uh, several text messages over the last couple of days, uh, Brett, with regard to the driver of the semi-trailer. Mm. As condolences, here's from uh, Heidi Pearson from Global News. As condolences, tributes, financial support, and messages of love continue to pour in for victims of the Humboldt Broncos bus bus crash, over 130,000 Canadians have taken to the internet to share their support for the anonymous driver of the semi-truck. The semi-truck and bus carrying the Saskatchewan-based hockey team collided on Highway 35, as we know, and we do not know at this point, the cause of the crash, but this this driver is going through unimaginable pain. And, uh, yeah, there's been, I think, a little bit of a reluctance to talk about this well, individual. Well, because we, don't, yeah, we, don't, we just don't know the details. So, and I think it's probably, as much as uh, that is a focal point of the conversation, I really do believe we hold our tongues on that until all the details are out and we're speaking from a position of knowledge rather than hyperbole. That's... That that's the way I've chosen to handle it anyway, because uh, once once it does come out, then I think we'll have a better grasp on how how to deal with this and how to talk about it. Yeah, without without question. Well, and it could be months. Uh, one headline yeah. indicated it could be months before we know the details on exactly what happened in that crash, and uh, you know the driver of the semi is going to have to live with this. So I think it's at least good to know that there are a lot of people reaching out to grow. Yeah. We got some text messages yesterday from people asking, why aren't we mentioning the driver? Why aren't you mentioning the driver? Mm. No one was ignoring the driver, uh, but it is good to know that there are there is a growing uh, movement to provide support. Quick traffic note, by the way. If you are headed west on the Trans-Canada this morning, you may encounter a delay. The Trans-Canada westbound at the Whitehorse Plains Bridge is closed off as some materials are being unloaded there at the moment. You mentioned Boston Strong and Humboldt Strong in your sports, Kelly, and what the Boston Bruins are doing uh, to get involved in this. The the Winnipeg Jets and the NHL topped up the 50-50, I think it was a, a $50,000 uh, combined, uh, $150,000 plus to the winner, and the other half, of course, got donated to, to the Broncos directly. Um, yeah, just for people who weren't listening, the Boston Bruins are giving the proceeds from their 50-50 tomorrow night. Plus, they also have an online raffle uh, for a luxury suite for game two. So it's, you know, and they, they went through this Boston strong. And so they know right. what it's like when the rest of the world uh, comes to your cause. And I was just going to jump in really quick. Brett, you were rattling off all of those all-time GoFundMe pages. Yep. And as I was listening, I'm thinking, like, this is what, in the last... 12 to 24 months that most of these events have taken place. I, I think that's an incredible amount of generosity uh, that has been directed towards some of these campaigns. 
Yeah, lost, just a short amount of time. Yeah, Vegas was just last fall. Yeah. Uh, the the Times Up Legal Defense Fund started in December of 2017. The Orlando shooting was in 2016. Uh, the Stoneman Douglas Fund was uh, that started in February 2018. So just a couple of yeah. months ago. Uh, yeah. So it is. Uh, it is a quite the outpouring. Yeah. Uh, it's also it's unfortunate that there needs to be this outpouring, but it is good to see that in the in the wake of these tragedies. Yeah. And, these injustices in some cases does, that people are not shy with their their cash do, do, does it does it make people feel better when they give like that uh, i mean i i don't know i i've given to a variety of of different causes like that over the years uh there i think sometimes you get more out of giving than the than the people on the other side might that might be the case and also i mean obviously this is a new way that people can give that right. 5 years ago didn't exist, didn't exist so yeah you know, and, and you, one of you fellows just used the term movement. And uh, one of our former colleagues, he works on the Winnipeg Jet Radio broadcast now, but Brian uh, Munns uh, started uh, a tweet on uh, a Sunday night or, you know, early Monday morning. The sticks out on the porch. Yeah. And, you know, so if you can't contribute financially, that's understood. People, it's tough for some people, but... To, even to put a hockey stick out there on the porch, uh, just as support for the guys, I think that's. I wanted incredible. to do that yesterday. I don't have a hockey stick. Well, I'll but get I got you a broom one. out there. I'll <laughs> get you one. I, I have friends in Texas, North Carolina, California, all over Canada that are doing this, and and it's really a, a magnificent way to unite and and show support. And uh, boy, uh, like you say, there's some real positivity coming out of this. Questions remain. As to what led to a collision of such catastrophic force on Friday in Saskatchewan between a bus carrying the Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team and a semi-truck. Global Nationals' Eric Sorensen examines these questions in the light of everything we know now. How did it happen? Two large vehicles colliding on a clear day. The bus carrying the Humboldt Broncos was northbound on Highway 35 headed to Nipawin. The tractor-trailer loaded with peat moss was westbound on Highway 335 en route to Alberta. They reached the highway intersection at precisely the same split second. The heavy tractor-trailer's momentum appears to have driven the impact west and north of the intersection. The bus appears to have had the right-of-way, the tractor-trailer a stop sign. The truck driver, not badly injured, was questioned by police. Whether there was driver error or mechanical problems will be determined by an investigation, which will look at speed, braking and other data from the vehicles. Police are not saying whether charges are pending. The investigation's ongoing. We're still working to determine the cause of the collision, the circumstances surrounding it. All of those things are being looked into. The intersection was the scene of a tragedy before. Six people died here 21 years ago. At the time, flashing lights were added to the stop signs. Today, the Rural Municipal Council voted to ask the province for rumble strips to further alert drivers. Rumble strips will definitely help, I would think, and I think that's maybe what hopefully highways will think about putting in there because that is a major intersection and it is a dangerous intersection. And there could be other factors. Much of Saskatchewan is flat, the view is clear. But on that one corner between the two approaching vehicles, a stand of trees blocks the view till the last second. Neither driver likely had time to see the other coming. Saskatchewan's Premier says the Ministry of Highways will also conduct a probe. They'd conduct their own investigation as to the safety that, of that intersection and if there's opportunities uh, uh, to improve and there's recommendations that come forward uh, subsequent that, that investigation, uh, we'll act on them and act on them quickly. 
The tragedy is quintessentially Canadian. Hockey and other sports teams must travel long miles across this vast country. And as safe as the vehicles and drivers may be, there is a risk when so many Canadians spend thousands of hours on the road to get to the next game. Eric Sorensen, Global News. Thank you, Eric. A Winnipegger was on board that bus Friday and survived the crash. His former schools are now doing what they can do to show support for him and the friends he lost. Global News reporter Amber McGookin has that story. The flag at half-mast, remembering the lives lost in the humbled Broncos bus crash. And a nod to one of the surviving players originally from Winnipeg, Matthew Gamerzik. And then when you hear the name of someone you know, it just goes to another degree. I don't know what the words are necessarily to describe it, but it's that, that feeling, that sort of emptiness. Gamerzik went to high school at Collège Jean Sauvé and also attended elementary school in Winnipeg. Like everyone else, everybody was really affected. And, and having Mathieu uh, as a student here in the past, uh, many of the teachers I spoke with this morning did teach him. So they're, uh, they're affected by it. Everybody's affected by it. Students and staff at the school walk the halls wearing green for the team. And a hockey stick was set up in the school's display case. You're at a loss uh, as a person, just thinking of all those people involved. Uh, this is reached everywhere now across Canada. So. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, a tough, uh, it's a tough day for, for, for everybody, for the whole community. Students and staff at both schools have been offered support for coping with the tragedy while they send their thoughts and prayers to the Gamerzik family and the entire humble community. Amber McGookin, Global News. Thank you very much, Amber. Coming up after 8 o'clock on 680 CJOB, we'll touch base once again with Global Saskatoon reporter Adam McVicker and ask him some questions about what he knows about the crash and what to try to figure. I mean, again, we don't want to speculate as to what happened. We just want to know what is known so far about the crash because we have heard varying accounts. The information on the weekend pointed to rather clearly that it was the, the truck who hit the bus, uh, but now it's not so clear. Uh, so we're, we've backed off on that, and we've seen graphics this morning on Global News Morning that we couldn't hear the audio, but we can only surmise that it was a possible, or a 3D reconstruction of a possible outcome, and it showed the bus hitting the trailer of the truck as it was passing by. So RCMP are working on investigating that, trying to determine what exactly happened. Congratulations. That is fantastic. I can't oh. even tell you guys how happy I am. Yeah, that's Jody Lupreppa. She is our uh, win local champion. I don't know exactly what she did to win, other than just to be there, to be present, to have her name drawn. Uh, Jody joins us now. Good morning, Jody. Good morning. Congratulations one more time. Oh, thank you. What a good night. Jody, you said you you would be on the road at this time. Are you uh, a little late getting getting moving this morning? Well, actually, I forgot that I have to take my daughter to badminton this morning, so I'm not in my car yet. So that works out well. <laughs> that does work out well. Uh, you you insist that you never. You're one of these people. You said that never wins anything. No, uh, other than uh, winning great family and great friends. That's pretty much it. So you brought yourself a good luck charm along. 
I did. I brought my girlfriend, Lisa. I was supposed to bring my husband with me, but he had to work. So uh, I brought her along and she is a definite lucky charm. Well, you said right from the beginning that she was a lucky charm. And I kept watching you throughout the evening. You were having a hard time because we announced we we had 50 50 people who qualified, 46 showed up last night, and just about everybody brought somebody with them. So we had about 100 people or so in the room at One Great City Brewing Company. Fantastic spot, by the way. And I was watching you, and you were were like me during a shootout during the jet season where I cannot watch the other team shoot. You were covering your eyes and almost plugging your ears every single time a name was announced. Oh, and every time they announce a name, I'd give my girlfriend a jab in the ribs. I <laughs> think she's probably all bruised up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and how we did it last night, it was it was one of those draws where you didn't want to hear your name called until the very last name. And so, Jody, you came out on the other end. I know you're excited to send your husband and your son, I think you said, to the Blue Bomber fan experience, two games, two game tickets, rather, a dinner for two at Pinnacle Club, pre-game on-field experience, and a meet and greet with the players after the game yeah actually it's my daughter piper um uh, he's going to take her to that and i'm going to enjoy the uh the spa <laughs> uh thermia and poca poca spa our friends from rona with a 500 dollars gift card a furniture villa brand source vita health and bill knight flooring and then a thousand dollars cash to do whatever you like with jody oh my goodness <laughs> Well, I'm still trying to soak it all in. Well, that's good. Well, that's why we wanted to wait. I don't know whose voice was at a higher octave, mine or, or yours last night when you went. I was so excited for you. The the look of, of pure uh, joy on your face was uh, enough uh, to light up the entire room. So uh, with all due respect to everybody else who, who entered, it was it was wonderful to, to see you uh, win and, and to be there when your name was announced. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I truly felt for those last uh, five guys that were up there with me, and I, uh, I wished them all well. But uh, in the end, I was pretty happy it was me. <laughs> Jody, we will let you go. Have yourself a fantastic day. And once again, congratulations on uh, winning this grand prize. Uh, win local with 680 CJOB. Thank you so much. It's time now for Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. This week, we are visiting with Winnipeg Blue Bomber offensive lineman Patrick Newfeld. And Patrick joins us from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Patrick, good morning. Morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing uh, not too badly. How are things uh, with you being so close to this national tragedy in Humboldt? Uh, there may be only one thing that rivals the love of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Saskatchewan, and that's their love of hockey. Absolutely. Um, obviously, just uh, an incredibly horrific tragedy. Um, and it, I think it pretty much hits home for, you know, for anyone who's who's taken a bus and gone anywhere with sports. I mean, you kind of feel invincible on those things, and um, it kind of just puts a whole bunch of, um, your memories into perspective and, and, um, yeah, it's, it's really tough, but, um, really strong and, and courageous people in this community. So, um, you know, they'll, they'll work through it, but, uh, it's definitely hard. How much time did you spend in a bus? You went to the university of Saskatchewan, right? Yeah. Um, we took, we took buses all the time and, and growing up, you know, I played club basketball and, 
and uh, we took buses down to Montana and North Dakota. And, um, you know, I've taken hundreds of bus rides and, uh, you, you know, like I said before, you just think you're invincible on those things. And um, it, it's just it's still kind of uh, puts things into perspective and it, it makes you really uh, appreciate um, what you have now. And that's supposed to be the given in the process, right, Patrick? Uh, most parents, most, most athletes worried uh, about staying healthy on the field of play, on the court, on the ice, not about that time in between leaving home and getting to the facility, getting to the venue and vice versa. Uh, y- your health concerns are, are all about whilst you're playing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you never really think about the, the travel um, as being a, a concern, but, um, you know, anything can happen and, um, you know, just thoughts and prayers go out to those families that have been affected because um, it's kind of living proof that that, that has happened and it's just horrible. Now, Patrick, when you heard about this, this crash, uh, this crash that involved a semi-truck, um, did that, you know, that you have sort of a, a personal connection to crashes with semi-trucks uh, invo- as it pertains to uh, your best friend? Yeah. Um, uh, 2013, my best friend was, you know, he was also tragically killed in a car accident on the way home from uh, from the lake. And he was he was hit by a semi-truck. He was, uh semi-truck was turning onto a grid road and they collided and he was, he was killed in a car accident. So, um, unfortunately it's, it's something that probably happens a little too often. Um, and it's, you know, it's just, it's really hard to kind of put into words because, you know, it, it happens so quick and, um, you really have no plan to, to deal with things like this, but that's where you have to rely and and really lean on the community and and your family and friends, because they're the ones that are going to brace you up and, and, and support you. And I was lucky enough to have a really strong support group. I had really close friends uh, that I could lean on and obviously my family I could lean on. So um, you kind of rely on those people to help you uh, through those tough times. Joining us from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's Winnipeg Blue Bomber offensive lineman Patrick Newfeld, a graduate of the University of Saskatchewan Huskies, spent his first three seasons in the Canadian Football League with the Rough Riders in Regina, entering his fifth season of play with the Blue Bombers. And Patrick, that rivalry is so legendary. Uh, I I speak about it only when I need to, and, and usually with a, a little bit of venom. Uh, I'm actually wearing green for the second day in a row, and, and I've never done that uh, conscientiously before, and maybe never do it again but just before we let you go just give us a, a, an idea uh, of the pride of Saskatchewan in Saskatchewan it I think I think it's vastly understood uh, I mean it's it's not a very populous uh, province and and the people here uh, it's such a close community whether you're in, in football or hockey or or any other sports um, it's just that people really care for one another and um, it's such a kind of close, close knit community where there's a lot of pride in that, and um, it's very blue collar, and and people take pride in the fact that you know nothing comes easy. Um, and it's just about hard working. So I think when when something like this happened in our in our province, our community, it kind of brings everyone, no matter where you're from. If you're from, you know, Prince Albert, Larange, uh, Moose Min, Regina, wherever you're from, 
Um, it's going to really band people together. And I think, you know, look at that GoFundMe page. I think it's over $6 million and, and uh, the outpouring of um, comments coming in is just, um, it really shows how close the people of Saskatchewan are. Indeed, it's at $6.7 million right now. Uh, just an incredible. It's actually one of the top five GoFundMe campaigns ever. Uh, so that's quite incredible. So Patrick Newfeld, offensive lineman with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, thank you very much uh, for joining us this morning as a Saskatchewan native. We appreciate your insight into this matter. No problem. Thank you very much. Mackling and McGarry with you. We all know her story. Lawyer Maria Matusas was injured when an explosive device detonated in her hands while inside her law office in the summer of 2015. She spent a long time recovering in hospital, much like some of the victims of the Humboldt bus crash will have to do. And now she joins us live in studio here on 680 CJOB. Uh, Maria Matusas, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So... You received a lot of support, a lot of messages after what happened. There was a crowdfunding campaign. So let's talk first about the support and the messages. I mean, I what you went through was such a such an ordeal. And yet you every time I've seen you speak on it, it's been just positive. So does that come from that support and those messages of kindness that you received? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head and I was reflecting just um, in preparation for coming here today. And that was one of the things that um, I understood. I think it, the support, the messages, the outpouring from a community that was communicated to me at a time when, you know, frankly, I was, my family, everything was turned upside down. You know, my family's reeling and everyone's rattled by something that was so um, unthinkable and, and, shocking. Um, I, I think that um, being touched by that kindness and by that generosity from so many people so immediately um, made it um, almost impossible to to focus on the bad or the negative. you know it was easy, it really helped um, fill in what I think would have been a gap um, of uh, space that might have been filled with you know, angry thoughts, hurt thoughts, but um, the timing was incredible. It's one of the first things I remember waking up, um, meeting my brother came to see me, and he goes, Maria, do you do you have any idea what's what's going on? You know, and and I remember um, he had his laptop with me, and he's like, these messages are coming in, and and people um, are thinking about you, and it was, um, you know, in that time and place. Um, the impact, I can't even uh, begin to uh, tell you how important it was. I don't know if you watched the vigil from Humboldt on Sunday night, but it was unmistakable to me the gratefulness from emanating from within that community. Every corner of that community, every person who spoke reflected on how thankful they were for the support they were receiving from the rest of the world. And it was a very powerful part of that message on Sunday for me. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, it, you know, it, it, feeling that you're not alone. I think that's the most, um, uh, that's the that's the thing that matters the most to someone who is going through um, some experience that is that you have no frame of reference for, right? Um, one minute you're, you're golfing, like in my case, in the morning, and the next minute 
you're waking up in a hospital room. Um, and so having people um, be there with you, be connected with you, um, just knowing that you're not alone um, and that this is something that you're not carrying, a burden you're carrying by yourself. Um, absolutely. That's, that, that makes perfect sense to me. We've spent a lot of time talking about the the GoFundMe page, the crowdfunding page in support of the Humboldt Broncos, uh, which, by the way, in case you are just tuning in for the first time this morning, is now at six point seven four four million. Pardon me, six point seven five three million dollars. It just continues to grow every time we hit refresh. It's one of the top five GoFundMe campaigns ever. You had a crowdfunding campaign as well. And this is still a fairly new thing. Jeff Braun made the comment earlier, five years ago, people couldn't offer their support in this kind of way. Right. And I, and I think it's it's fantastic. I think it's a way that people, like there's there's two things I think. You can, you can send messages of support. You, like I said, you can be connected to someone. I think there's a lot of people who don't know how to help, right? They're not sure what's appropriate. Should I call someone? Should I send an email? Is that too intrusive? And I think this forum gives um, people the opportunity to be there, be present, to be heard um, without um, uh, feeling like they're um, intruding. I, I think I think it's, it's an, a tremendous um, uh, way in which, you know, say what you will about the Internet, say what you will about, you know, being overconnected. Um, but times like tragedy, it's, it's nice to know that as a person who wants to do something um, – there's a way to do that, and there's uh, it can be funneled. Like I almost feel like all that love and all that support gets channeled in, and and really will um, support an entire like the families, but not not only the families, but just the community, everybody. It's far reaching, and even talk about the uh, first responders, the people who are there on site. I mean, there's so many people t- um, impacted by tragedy like this. So, well, we reached out because of your Facebook post. Um, do you mind if I read the first part of it, or do you have it in front of you? I don't have it in front of me. Okay, go ahead. I was yeah, going to ask you yeah, to read it yeah. if you had it Sorry, in front of you. No. When the unthinkable happens, it is hard to find the words or know what to do. Showing your love and support as a community instantly communicates to those who are suffering and grieving that they are not alone and that they are surrounded by love sent by friends and strangers alike. And just that whole idea of finding strength from this powerful message, this collective love being sent your way is why we reached out to you today. We wanted you understand this uh, differently than than certainly any three of us in this room. So uh, that that was such a powerful message from you. Why, why did you share it like that? Why did you feel compelled to share it the way you did? Yeah, it's a very that's a good question. Um, uh, I have many times thought about um, the outpouring of support that I received um, through the GoFundMe platform, through the colleagues who organized it and the people who um, participated. And I've almost felt like there's some, something unfinished. You know, I, you know, as a person who was supported, um, I, I've wanted to thank every single person, you know, for the support that I received. Um, and I thought that maybe by posting on Facebook and tweeting, I could do th- two things. I think one was to um, 
as we talked about before, how can you help? What can you do? And I wanted people to know that being on the receiving end, um, you know, that that you've changed me um, and you're going to change other people by supporting them because that impact, the generosity that you receive, um, it changes you um, and it makes you think about the future much differently. I, I know it's changed me. Um, I think I'm less cynical than I ever used to be. Um, I do believe that, um, the you know, community that we live in, the community we want to live in is shaped by the actions we take. So it matters. It, it really does matter. And it's such a small thing that you can do to... Um, just to support someone, just sending a message and um, being present. Lawyer Maria Matusas joining us live in studio here on 680 CJOB once again. She was injured when an explosive device detonated in her hands inside her law office in 2015. Maria, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank we you. appreciate the time. Looking out the window right now. Don't, don't, say, see it. Some, don't I, say it. I am going to say it. Don't say it, Brett. <laughs> It reminds me of a scene. Sorry, this is so dumb, but that reminds me of a scene in a film called Bloodsport. Jean Claude Van Damme saying to Chong Lee, Say it! Say it! Mate! Say it! That's kind of what I feel like doing right now. I feel like saying mate, a.k.a. I quit, I give up, because I see snow falling. I, I give up. I'm tired of it. Thankfully, we had a good time last night, so my spirits are still up. I just want to say, uh, personally, thank One Great City Brewing Company. I felt a little bad as I, I brought my notes in here. I felt like I was taking a... I really was taking a census. <laughs> yes, you were. I was going Why do you feel bad? <laughs> I was going around the room with my pad of paper and writing down names. Are you no. qualified with us? Oh, good. Hello, Pierre. Are you qualified with us? Excellent. Hi, Liz. Oh, Stuart, you qualified with Rich and Julie? Okay, next. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was trying we to see. We did sort of divide the room that way. And... Uh, uh, I didn't. It looks like I didn't get through everybody because we had 46 qualifiers, and I talked to 36. I ta- thought I talked to everybody, but anyway, it was a great slacker. pleasure to meet all. Yes, I am a slacker, uh, <laughs> just like uh, Marty McFly and uh, George McFly. I'm a slacker, <laughs> and uh, I wanted to say thanks to all of you who came out to visit us last night. It was a great pleasure to meet so many of our listeners. It was it a really fun was. event, great turnout, and uh, congratulations once again to Jody Luprepa, who won the big win local with 680 CJOB Grand Prize. Of course, our top story of the day continues to be what happened in Saskatchewan on Friday night. Lots of unanswered questions, Brett. Global News, Saskatoon reporter Adam McVicker touched base with us earlier this morning, just out of the 6.30 news, and we're going to speak to him again now to talk about the crash itself. Adam, do we actually know which vehicle struck the other? At this point, we have a general idea from what it sounds like. The bus was traveling south to north. It was going north towards Nipawin on Highway 35, and it sounds like the 18-wheeler, the semi, was going towards the west on Highway 335 and crossed the intersection, and the bus collided with the cargo that the semi was carrying. That's kind of what we're seeing at this point. But, of course, this intersection very notorious, so 
Um, investigators haven't been super open about what happened. They're still trying to piece things together. But that's what it sounds like right now, that the bus struck the cargo coming on the semi coming from the west. Yeah, because the initial word that uh, had been uh, that we were going on on Saturday was that it was the truck that T-boned the bus, but uh, now we're, it looks like that that's not the case. Yeah, that, and that's what we're, that's kind of what we're hearing and, and piecing together. We're, we're not sure about conditions at that point either. We talked to a meteorologist who said the, the, uh, the driver of the semi would have had to have been dealing with, you know, the sun setting. Uh, at that time of the collision. So there's so many variables in place right now. RCMP were on scene. Uh, they've recently cleared the scene so people can go and, and, and pay their respects there. And we've had uh, people covering that area as well. And from what it sounds like, um, you know, they're now, they have the wreckage somewhere else and they're still uh, continuing their investigation. Yeah, it's going to take something like several months for them to complete this investigation, right? It's, it will, I would imagine it will take a long time. The scene was very, it was a large scene, so much evidence in place. And, you know, there's so much to analyze at that area as well. You know, road conditions. If those trees on the side of the road played a factor at all, there's, there's a farmyard there uh, with, uh, with trees surrounding it that could have possibly played a factor in visibility uh, at the time of the collision. So um, it will, I would imagine it's going to take quite some time for the RCMP to piece this whole thing together. One of the things we're hearing as well now is that there are calls for rumble strips to be installed at that intersection along that highway. What do you know about that? Um, it sounds like the, the, uh, the Minister of Highways is going to take a look at that, of course. You know, anything to prevent a further tragedy because there are six crosses already at that intersection from a collision in 1997 where a uh, an SUV, I believe, collided with a semi-truck there. So it's a notorious intersection uh, for the locals in that area as well. That, that's what they've been telling Global News. Um, from what it sounds like, rumble strips might be the answer here. I've noticed in other areas of the province all over the place, on the way to Humboldt, there are multiple sections of highway with the rumble strips leading up to, to the... Uh, to major intersections, as well as on the side of the road along uh, along the edge there. So rumble strips may be the answer. The government not confirming that they're going to be going down that direction, but they're going to be taking a look at this crash very closely. Where are you this morning, Adam? I'm sitting right, right now. I'm sitting in our vehicle uh, outside the Elgar-Peterson Arena where the Humboldt Broncos play. It's quite cold out there this morning, so we're trying to keep as warm as possible as we're going to be here for quite some time. And uh, what is, I guess, the, the next event that is occurring in Humboldt as it pertains to this? Are there any uh, uh, vigils or anything organized for today? I do know of something being planned in Saskatoon later this week for one of the players, Evan Thomas. A memorial has been planned in Saskatoon for him at Sastel Centre uh, where the Saskatoon Blades play. Uh, as of right now, we're not hearing too, too much about around town for vigils and things like that today. The big thing people are focusing on now is getting students uh, supports. We're going to be hearing from the school board later on this morning here about what they have in place. We heard from the SGHL yesterday. They're putting a whole program together for players now and future players to get mental health supports and grief counseling whenever they need it. Um, Sheldon Kennedy, of course, he's, he survived the 1986 pump uh, of Swift Current Broncos bus crash. He uh, said, you know, the lifelong scars are real, and that's one big takeaway he had was that, you know, 
it's it, it's going to hurt for the first little while here, but these these stars are going to last, and you, he's there's going to be um, you know trauma down the road. Global Saskatoon reporter Adam McVicker joining us from Humboldt, Saskatchewan. We're just doing what we're doing this morning. Sounds as though there's some some doing whatever they're doing without one side knowing what the other side's supposed to be doing as it pertains to a major potential land development, Christian O'Mell. Yes, so the Parker Lands, for those who aren't aware, is just off Waverly, off of Hearst. So if, you know, Wilkes ends at Waverly, you keep going by the Humane Society. They're developing that land to be part of the next step of the Southwest Rapid Transitway Corridor. And they want to develop the lands around that with housing. And one, the group tasked with doing that, I guess, is Gem Equities. And they submitted a rezoning application for this land. And it was rejected on March 2nd. The zoning district, the city said, that is the subject of this application, does not comply with the bylaw about transit-oriented properties. Quote, these sites are intended to be adjacent to rapid transit stations with a council-endorsed local area plan in place to guide development. So the confusion was, but we're putting it near the rapid transitway line? I couldn't put it any closer. I've looked at the yes. map, I've looked at the development, and you couldn't literally not put it any closer. Right. So I, But what the city staff said yesterday, or yesterday at the property and uh, development meeting John Kiernan, the city's director of property planning and development, said this rezoning application was not rejected on merit. It's just the way the bylaws are. There needs to be a the secondary plan, encompasses a greater scope. It gets council approval, and then they can go about rezoning. And another planner said that a plan has been submitted and distributed. It just hasn't made its way up the ladder yet to council. I'm scratching my head on how you can be building a $600 million, well, $450, $450 million transitway that was rejigged in terms of its configuration in order to encourage some of this development. Infill. Infill, which if you look at the development, it encompasses a variety, every single type of housing. You've got uh, multiple uh, multi-story rental and condo developments, side-by-side, quadplexes and single-family homes uh, within 800 meters of the of the Parkerland station on the Rapid Transit Corridor. How can this land not be designated and zoned this way? It feels as though that... that transitway was was brought there for this express reason right it's it's minutiae of city pro- process and planning i think it's gonna get done it's just a matter of following the proper process of bylaws when it comes to something like this gem equities appealed that rejection by the way that appeal was supposed <laughs> to be heard yesterday but it really didn't get off the ground there's been this contention between the developer and john orlico who chairs this committee and the lawyer, Kevin Toyne, asked the Orlico to recuse himself from this process. Why? Uh, well, here's what Mr. Orlico had to say. They've indicated in the past bias. I've already determined uh, what I believe I'll be voting on. And they made some quite unfounded, uh, very unfounded accusations. So once I clarify with them, or maybe they should be clarifying why they believe I should be recusing myself, we will look at that and uh, we'll get and they did it publicly. Will respond publicly so everybody knows going forward 
that the process is on the up and up. So they think Mr. Orlico is biased. So when they asked him to do that, there is this bickering back and forth of what happens now. So they adjourned that hearing. Nothing ever got decided yesterday. Uh, so that's where we are. Uh, after the meeting, we had on Jennifer Keysmat with Jim Equities, and there was confusion about that last line, the whole only a limited portion of the site you're proposing to rezone is adjacent to a rapid transit station. It says in city council's policies that that's what the city wants. Um, but it seems here that a real project, uh, real money from an investor, a real developer with experience developing really high quality projects is standing on the threshold of the door and the door is being closed. And uh, we really need to figure out why. So I asked Orlico to respond to that statement. Are you closing the door? Absolutely not. We're very, we're very looking for. I'm looking forward to having the secondary plan process. You just got to do the proper process. Get that in, and then we'll move forward. Uh, now we have to resolve this other issue. We want to move this project forward, but it, it is a complicated project. It's in a very complicated spot, so we have to do the process step by step. Nothing different than any other project. So we're just asking them to do their secondary planning process first, and then until such time, based upon our transit-oriented design policy, we can't really accept uh, an application. We may have today or not, again, how the committee uh, chose to vote, but we didn't get that chance. So is this just a matter of doing things in the right order? That's my understanding of what's going on here. It doesn't feel like it. No. It feels like there's more to this. And when we go back to last summer and there were folks that were, you know, occupying and protesting those lands, the the trees and the forests that were there that were cleared. You know, my first reaction when hearing this story is, hold on. How is there not a neighborhood plan for this? How has this not been approved and reviewed by city council with the rubber stamp? And I think that if you go back to the protesters' comments, and my view at the time was like, how can you be clearing trees for a development that has not been approved yet? And I'm not trying to to go back in time to fix this because you can't bring those trees back. But this is just another example of things being done out of order. And I would have thought of the three things that need to be done here, a neighborhood plan, a development plan, and plowing down acres of trees. The acres of trees being plowed down, plowed down would have been the last of those three things, and that was the first thing done. There you go. Christian O'Mell, Global News reporter, joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. He's Brett. I'm Greg. Get your dialing finger ready. Well, I guess that's an old-fashioned thing. Get online, get ready, because at 10 o'clock this morning, Winnipeg Jets playoff tickets go on sale to the general public. And if you thought the scramble to get season tickets back in June of 2011 was something else, um, there are about 500 tickets left for each game in round one of the NHL playoffs. The Jets said that about 1,200 tickets were available for home games uh, after se- season ticket holders, but after pre-sale yesterday to those on the Winnipeg Jets wait list and mailing list, uh, that number is now 500. The Jets take on the Wild tomorrow night. Rob Wozni from True Sport, True North Sports and Entertainment says it's going to be an incredible experience. So those who can get tickets, we work really hard to create a very positive in-game experience. And I think what we're trying to what we're trying to do inside as well is just capture the fandomonium inside. Because I think when you're inside and you see all that white and you see fans just so engaged with the process, I think that's what we're really trying to focus on. Like just let the fan story. Let the fan story emulate and come through just naturally and organically because it's going to be so much fun. And I think fans are really going to enjoy that, just feeding off that energy and just seeing some really creative costumes. And, 
and just really getting into it. So we're quite excited, and, and, I, and I, our fans are telling us the same thing, too. Meanwhile, many Jets fans may be thinking about a road trip to St. Paul for a chance to watch a playoff game there. And we're hoping this morning to speak with Aaron Sickman, who is a spokesperson uh, on behalf of the Minnesota Wild, uh, to get details on their ticket policy. Uh, While we're trying to get him, though... You found something that uh, you think we should be doing here in Winnipeg. Yes, I want to initiate. I want you guys to think about this. And when I mean you guys, all of you listening right now, they are doing campaign or election-style signage, lawn signs, although it looks as though Minneapolis-St. Paul in the same boat as us. Lots of snow still on the ground in the Twin Cities. In celebration of the 2018 Stanley Cup playoffs, this from... The Minnesota Wild website. Minnesota Wild employees will distribute This Is Our Ice yard signs at participating Twin Cities Super America locations on Wednesday, April 11th, while supplies last. Yeah, these signs uh, look exactly like you might expect during an election campaign. And in giant letters, it says, This Is Our Ice with the Minnesota Wild logo 2018 playoffs. I'm hoping that the Minnesota Wild playoff run is a lot less uh, extended than a typical election campaign. (laughs) So you want to see these in Winnipeg, though? I would love to see these in Winnipeg. I think it's a great idea. Flags are great. We'll see flags, people flying flags on their cars, uh, those window flags. I know the Winnipeg uh, Fire and Paramedic Service are flying Jets flags on the back of their fire trucks. You're going to see people putting flags up on their houses and stuff. This is something I think in terms of the cost to put them together is uh, very doable. So we might have to uh, initiate something like this right here in our city. Aaron Sickman is now available to join us live on 680-CJOB to talk about the Minnesota Wilds ticket policy. Mr. Sickman, good morning to you, sir. Morning, guys. How are you? Doing really well, Aaron. I have had the privilege of visiting your building on uh, several occasions over the years. Lots of times while the Winnipeg was not in the National Hockey League since Minnesota rejoined. It's an absolutely beautiful building, XL Energy Center. I've seen the Foo Fighters there as well. It's a great rink, not only for a concert, but for hockey. And uh, let's admit that this is one of the best uh, rivalries around. When the Jets are in St. Paul, lots of folks from Winnipeg peg like to come down thank you for the compliment we have a, we do have a fantastic building we have fantastic fans and we have been blessed with some great environments previously when the jets have played in st paul and we do not expect anything less this year for a big playoff series it should be a lot of fun so you the tickets go on sale when tomorrow morning we do not actually we do not have a ticket on sale due to the demand from our season ticket holders and, and access we give them we do not have enough tickets available to do a general on sale. Wow. So our ticket our ticket messaging is pretty straightforward, um, and especially for fans in your neck of the woods that will be looking to make a trip down to St. Paul, to A, make sure they go to verified websites to purchase tickets uh, at Ticketmaster.com or wild.com slash ticket exchange. And then the other option that we have messaging to our fans and our, our people that want tickets in, in, in the Twin Cities, the best way is to sign up at wild.com slash game day ticks, game day T-I-X, and they will get a text notification when tickets become available on day of games and or before the day before a game if we do have 
tickets left over because we have to hold a certain number of tickets per NHL rules. I've been on that. I've been on that waiting list or that uh, mailing list for probably more than a decade, Aaron. And so I get Minnesota Wild notifications all the time, and I realize I maybe should have jumped over, <laughs> jumped all over the opportunity to buy some tickets the other day. But uh, I don't think this is going to yeah, stop yeah. Winnipeg fans uh, from from finding a way into your building. No, that that is, that is correct. We we expect uh, we expect a good crowd, and we expect a lot of. Um, Jets fans to be visiting St. Paul and being part of the. I'm just going downstairs. Sorry. Um, we'll have a lot of people in wild jerseys and we'll have a few people in Jets jerseys. Aaron Sickman is our guest, spokesperson for the Minnesota Wild Media Relations Director. And I also see that uh, you do have a limited number of suites that are available uh, to purchase for the, the playoff games at XL Energy Center. What would it cost if someone uh, or, or perhaps a group of Winnipeggers wanted to get their hands on a suite? That is a great question. Depends on the, on the number, what the suite capacity is. We have anywhere from 12-person suites up to 30-person suites. I don't have the price tag for an individual suite based on the capacity, but if a, a fan is interested in buying up to 12 to 30 tickets per game, they can email suites at wild.com, S-U-I-T-E-S at wild.com, and somebody will get back to them with, uh, with an answer to that question. Okay. Well, hey, Aaron, thanks very much for this. We appreciate this, and uh, uh, I guess one more, one more thought here. The fact that it is Winnipeg and Minnesota, uh, given that we're so close to each other, that's kind of a, just kind of a nice coincidence, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's and for us. I mean, we've been in the playoffs for a few years in a row now, and it's nice to I think to play a different opponent. But for us, uh, it'll be exciting to play a, such a close geographic opponent. And secondly, I think uh, looking at the schedule, the start times, so nice to have quote unquote normal start times six six thirty seven versus the normal eight thirty eight forty five start times. It seems like we faced the last few years, so it should be really great for fans to be able to watch the games, and celebrate, and, and not be up until midnight watching uh, the Jets and Wild go at it. All right, Aaron, I'd wish you good luck, but I'd be uh, lying like, uh, I don't know, like carpet if I was wishing you <laughs> wishing you good luck. So I'll just uh, thank you for your time today, and uh, we'll see you down the road. Sounds good. It should be fun. Thanks, guys. You betcha. <laughs> Can't even do it. Lying like carpet. Lying like a carpet. <laughs> Can't do it. That was Aaron Sickman, Media Relations Director for the Minnesota Wild. This is perfect timing. I can see I can put aside my love affair with Saskatchewan and turn it into a <clears throat> quote-unquote uh, quote full-on uh, hate fest for, for Minnesota. You have so much hatred in your heart. No, I don't. It's just, you know what? It's rivalry, right? And this is what the NHL has wanted. This is why they reoriented the uh, playoff system, why they changed the schedule to make it very heavy on, on divisional play so that they would set up situations like this where teams that have played three or four or five times, depending on the division, uh, play one another in the playoffs so that there would be that natural rivalry. And, of course, the geography plays nicely in into this and uh, uh, you can't be anything but excited. Four of the Humboldt Broncos hockey players injured in Friday's bus crash that killed 15 other people remain in critical condition. The Saskatchewan Health Authority says eight others are also still in hospital. The first responders on the scene will no doubt carry those images with them for the rest of their lives. 
Monday, we spoke with Jennifer Lundeen from the Paramedics Association of Manitoba to get an idea of how situations like this can affect first responders. Uh, after the event, after things have, have wrapped up and after patients are at the hospital, after it's the after part, it, um, things become quite difficult and a lot more, um, I guess, focused on yourself and your reactions to things. Now, that is where our next guest, the person we are hoping to be able to speak with this morning, comes in. Her name is Dr. Sarah Dentry-Travis, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Manitoba. Sarah served in the Canadian Army as a medic for two years and then as an intelligence operator for eight years. Now she is conducting postdoctoral research at the U of M's School of Medical Rehabilitation. That research involves developing programs to help emergency first responders successfully handle the traumas they face on the job. Dr. Sarah Dentry-Travis joins us now on 680 CJOB. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Thank you so much for this. Um, maybe we could talk about your personal experience before we get into the research you're conducting. Uh, tell us about some of the things that you would have seen over two, well, I guess really 10 years in the Canadian Army. Uh, yeah, so I, I served 10 years with the Canadian Forces. Um, I was deployed for about nine months. And uh, after I uh, served, I actually married a British soldier and was a military spouse for another eight years and supported him through his deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan and the subsequent um, issues of him coming back and having to deal with uh, the traumas that he experienced while he was deployed. So, um, yeah, I come I come at it from both angles, as being in and being deployed myself, as well as uh, seeing what the spouses go through. You're also a member of an Invictus team, are you not? Yes, yeah, I did. Uh, I was on Team Canada for the 2016 Invictus Games and uh, was able to get a silver in archery. And what brought you to that team? Because I understand you don't have any uh, injuries. Well, the um, experiences when, when you're deployed and such, there's uh, the Invictus Games, it's not just uh, physical injuries, it's also mental traumas and such that you're dealing with. And um, it's just to help you on the road of recovery, of uh, kind of trying to gain back control of your life. So talk, uh, first of all, thank you for your service. Uh, Dr. Dentry Travis, this is this is uh, an honor to speak with you. Talk about your research and and how you're conducting this and, and what the goals are. Sure. Um, in 2014, I was actually able to go on an expedition to the North Pole and um, with a group of uh, injured soldiers as well as civilians, and um, I followed them and wanted to understand what was allowing them to get over the obstacles and boundaries? What were the things that were letting them achieve the goals that they wanted to get at? And um, after that, that kind of paved the way for my whole research agenda that I've been working on um, at the University of Manitoba in my postdoc. And uh, that's looking at what are the components, the physiological components as well as psychological components that allow people to perform at their peak levels in extremely challenging and stressful situations. And so um, I don't just look at the psychological components, I look at the physiological components. And that's been something that's been uh, quite key because the two different sides interact with one another. We can't just look at people's uh, psychology and we can't just look at their physiology and um, their genetic makeup and such. It's all of it. It's a whole package. Is there a certain uh, certain type of experience that that has that that cross interaction? Is that part of what you're trying to to figure out? Is what 
what initiates that that cross interaction of physiological and psychological? Yeah, well, we experience this every day in our lives. Um, we know that things like good sleep hygiene, getting those eight hours of sleep a day or as close to it as possible, but also quality sleep. It's not just quantity, it's quality of sleep. Um, your nutrition, uh, your working out, going to the gym, or better yet, just getting out and going for a run in nature or a walk in nature, a ski, a bike ride, um, and also social re- uh, relations with other people, knowing that other people are going through these things um, just like you, all these things impact one another to help bolster your ability to handle stress. Now, the problem when we look at um, the, the military, but more importantly, with uh, emergency first responders, such as the police, RCMP, paramedics, firefighters, they're all on shift work every day in their hometowns, day in, day out. They're dealing with traumas. Their every day um, at the office is our worst day of our lives, right? They're the people we call when we have an emergency and um, the, the, the way that their whole shift work is set up, they're not um, setting themselves up to have those positive adapting um, mechanisms for dealing with stress, right? They're not able to get the good hours, eight hours of sleep. The nutrition is really hard to do when they're on shift work. Um, it's hard to work out when you finish work at four o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. Um, and also family members, spouses, they don't tend to want to know what's happened on the shift, right? Because every day hearing about the horrors that they have to deal with, um, family members tend to not want to know about it. So um, that these are the things that would help other people deal with stress. And uh, with our first responders, they don't have those resources necessarily. So the, the programs that you work on, that you're developing, how would they be different uh, in terms of how they would help emergency first responders from the training that they've already received? Yeah, so a lot of the uh, different programs that are out there deal with um, stress after the fact. So it deals with people who've already developed PTSD, already have developed clinical levels of anxiety, depression, um, and have become suicidal, no longer able to go to work. Um, and what I'm trying to develop is a proactive resource. So giving them um, access to these resources and it's personal resources, right? It's, it's showing them that they have these things within themselves to help them deal with these uh, daily uh, challenges and stress. Um, and it's, it's showing them that they have these things that they can increase their own levels of durability to deal with the stress so that they don't end up succumbing to um, their daily uh, challenges. It's just uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, what I'm hearing from you is that what we would normally prescribe as a coping mechanism for those with PTSD is chronically absent with those and to those uh, that are dealing with uh, PTSD-inducing situations on a daily basis. Is that an oversimplification? <laughs> well, it's the main thing to take from it is that um, your physical health impacts your psychological health and vice versa. So when you bolster your physical health, you're going to end up um, increasing your psychological health as well. And things like, um, you know, getting out and going for a walk every day and going for a run, um, having those social relations with other people, knowing that you have someone that you can um, talk to about all the problems that you're seeing on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the things that can really help. Dr. Sarah Denton-Travis, we appreciate very much what you're doing, and we appreciate uh, you chatting with us this morning. Well, thank you for having me.
Dr. Sarah Dentry Travis is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Manitoba School of Medical Rehabilitation. Once again, her research involves developing programs to help first responders successfully handle the traumas they face on the job. CEO of Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg testifying before U.S. Congress today and tomorrow in the wake of revelations that pro-Donald Trump data mining firm Cambridge Analytica scooped millions of Facebook users' data without their knowledge. Meanwhile, an Ipsos poll finds the majority of Canadians don't trust Facebook with their online data. So to tell us more about the results of this poll for Global News, we are joined by the president of Ipsos Public Affairs, Mike College, joining us from Ottawa. Thank you very much for speaking with us, Mike. How are you? I'm good. How are you this morning? Doing very well. So how many people are we talking about here don't trust Facebook? Well, we found that two-thirds of uh, Canadians say they, they don't trust Facebook, and, and that's not uncommon, You know, similar numbers. Don't trust Yahoo, don't trust Twitter, don't trust the other social media platforms. Um, what's interesting is in the past couple of months, since this all broke, or the past couple of weeks anyway, uh, f- uh, about four in ten have said they've changed their social media habits. You know, about 30%, 28% exactly have said, I'm being careful about what I post. And 11% said I've actually stopped using some of the social media platforms because of these issues. What percentage of those surveyed and th- those who say they don't trust Facebook are former or present users of the social media platform? Um, well, so only 16% of Canadians say I'm not using any social media platform at all. So we didn't drill down and look at Facebook users specifically. Um, but we do know that younger people who, are, who use it more are, are more likely to trust Facebook. Uh, trust in all of the different uh, platforms tends to decline as we get older, tends to decline as we get higher education, a little more knowledge, a little more literacy around how people are using um, personal information tends to make us trust everybody a little bit less. You mentioned people don't trust Yahoo. Uh, do people even still use Yahoo? <laughs> Some people do, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting that when you look at personal information, I mean, the Banks Fair, we, we did compare some others against the social media platforms. The Banks Fair quite well in terms of the personal information they have. It is 89% say, you know what, I trust my bank with my personal information. So when you compare that to, you know, Facebook and Twitter at 33 and 28%, uh, you can see quite a, quite a gap depending on the type of information and the uh, perceived security that they have around it. Uh, Mike, it is interesting that the same handheld devices that we use for Facebook, for Twitter, and these uh, social media platforms that we're uh, lessening our trust of are the exact same handheld devices we use to do our banking on a regular <laughs> basis. There is a dichotomy there without question. Mike, we got to run. We got to let you go. Can we catch up with you again on this sometime? Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much, Mike. College, he is. You too, sir. Thank you very much. He is the president of Ipsos Public Affairs, joining us from Ottawa this morning on 680 CJOB. Uh, Behind the glass, Jerry, with the perfect music selection. Any guesses? Dirty Laundry. It's Don Henley, is it not? Mackling McGarry with you until 10 o'clock this morning. We have with us, and forgive us for introducing you this way, <laughs> Sherry Holmes is the daughter of Mike Holmes. Do you ever get tired of being introduced that way? Yeah, you know what? It's definitely not the first time I've been introduced <laughs> that way. I'll be honest. Well, I feel forgive like, us. You know what? I don't mind. It's okay. Um, 
he he's a he's pretty well known, I think. And uh, you know what? I don't get offended by it at all. I Fantastic. Think. Well, you're not wearing overalls like your dad. This Sunday is fi- uh, uh, April 15th is National Laundry Day. So if you're thinking about doing some laundry room renovations, think about doing it or making it right, as <laughs> Mike would want you to do. So, Sherry, uh, welcome to Winnipeg. Thanks for bringing the Ontario weather with I'm you. I'm sorry we, about that. We really <laughs> appreciate No, we can't blame you. It's been a miserable winter altogether. It's, it's been a really long winter, I feel. I'm, I'm really looking forward to some sunshine, you know, maybe a little bit of warmth. but Well, we get lots of sunshine here outside of today, but the, the warmth has been lacking. So yeah, we're all getting kind of tired of it. I've tapped out. Um, But when it comes to laundry, we're trying to make it easier so that you don't want to tap out. Um, So I guess if we're looking at a new laundry room, what is, where do we, where does one begin? Because I remember when I had a house, my laundry room Mm -hmm. consisted of basically a hole in the wall (laughs) with a laundry, with uh, a washing machine and a dryer and then a spot to put my cat litter. And that was it. Actually, yeah, I think my cat litter used to be in a laundry room too. But I think that's the problem with laundry rooms is everyone looks at them because it's a chore that you have to do. And, you know, people put it off and you wait. You don't really want to clean your clothes right away. And because in the past, laundry rooms have been looked at like a little dungeon or a hole in the wall in your basement that you store your cat litter or an area nobody wants to go into. But now our basements are all finished and we need usable space in every inch of our house. So when you're renovating a laundry room, why not make it multifunctional, multi-purpose, or some, some place you don't want to hate being? You want to do your laundry. Well, and the location of laundry rooms has changed over the years, right? They were exclusively yes, in basements for years, and now with the advent of stackable washers and dryers, mm-hmm. you can put them in a closet or in an area where you otherwise wouldn't have been able to put them in the past, but uh, everywhere from the main floor, main floor laundry to second floor laundry up Mm -hmm. with the bedrooms and such. So what's the philosophy on that in terms of picking a location? Um, Well, you can put a laundry room just about anywhere in a house nowadays, which is great. Uh, My dad does not like doing a laundry room anywhere but the basement in case of leaks. Because if you do a renovation, let's say on my second floor, I want to put um, a washer and dryer next to my bedroom because I don't want to walk downstairs. What happens if I pay for that renovation, something were to happen and leak through the rest of my house, and then I would have to do renovations there. So my dad's a little bit against that. I do understand the convenience of it. I think it's great. Um, And you're right, you can can do anything, and there are so many different choices with appliances. I do. I tend to prefer uh, the GE Top Load. They have a top new Top Load. Yeah, so, we're going back to Top Load yeah, now. Yeah, so I love the Top Load pair that they came out with because everyone's buying Front Load now. And Front Load, there's nothing wrong with Front Load. But you ever notice when you try to open your washer door, sometimes it can smell a bit more. Yeah, oh, stinky. Yeah, oh, so yes. you know why that is? Is because the seal of your door is staying more wet because your laundry is hitting that door constantly versus a Top Load pair. You're staying drier, so it's going to smell better. I don't really like a moldy-smelling laundry room or, lo- you know, moldy-smelling clothes. That's a little gross. So I'd prefer I, – I prefer the top loader. I think it's really a lot more reliable as well. What Now, when it comes to putting laundry machines on a uh, second floor or any kind of an upper floor, mm-hmm. um, for those who, like your father, who look down upon it, what's the difference between doing it in a house and, and another – multi-floor complex, like a condo complex. Like a condo or townhomes. Really, realistically, you take the the steps to make sure that you're going to be safe and that area is going to be better off and you waterproof your flooring and you can always add curbs at doors and things like that. So it is a a possible thing you can do anywhere. 
he just likes to play it safe. He likes to. He doesn't like to do things twice. He likes to make it right. I'll give you that little line. <laughs> that was just for you two. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you can, of course, you can uh, waterproof and you can you add floor drain and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff, which is what you, you know, yeah. really what you do in a traditional laundry room in the basement. So uh, what what are some of the other keys to a design? Because we were talking about the philosophy of folding the laundry. Because mm-hmm. other than actually putting the the, the the dirty clothes in the washer and putting the, the clean clothes in the dryer, there are two horrible jobs that follow. <laughs> you have to fold the bloody laundry and then you've got to put it away. Have you got any systems for that or any robots that do that perhaps? Uh, you know, I'm working on the robot to do that. Um, I Maybe when your boys are a little bit older, you can get them to start folding, put away in their own laundry. That might be nice. I like your idea. I'm going to play this back <laughs> <Yeah>. for them. <laughs> Don't tell them it was me. Um, so the thing is with a laundry room, if you're planning to renovate your laundry room, you kind of got to think multifunction. What am I going to use it for in the long run? Am I going to hang up clothes to dry? Am I going to fold clothes in the laundry room or am I going to put a TV somewhere to fold laundry, which is what you'd prefer? Um, and like I said, a laundry room is now a livable space in your house. So why not make it work for you? Whatever you're going to do, you're, you're renovating anyway. So let's plan it in, in the right, smart way and have a laundry room. I don't mind folding clothes in. Sure, I got to put it away afterwards, which I can't help you there. But <laughs> at least if you plan ahead, you're okay. I'm glad you mentioned that. Are you going to hang up clothes? Because uh, uh, about 10 years ago, I lived in a, I guess 15 years ago, and I lived in a buddy's basement, and uh, I would do laundry, and I'd hang some of my shirts up just like on any random sort of peg that he had Mm -hmm. scattered about his basement. And then he'd come downstairs, and he'd say, what the hell are you doing? Like, I'm hanging on my clothes. I can't put them in the dryer. Uh, So that that is important to have that functional space where you can hang clothes, and it's not in the way. It really is. I'm renovating my laundry room at home, and I, I do the same thing. I've been hanging up my clothes on doors or chairs and things like that just until I'm ready because I, I realized I had to do something because I'm folding my laundry on a pool table or a bar and hanging them on doors instead of shutting everything. So it's really just, it's a nightmare. So you really have to plan it out accordingly and what works for you and your family. Do you play snooker or eight ball? I am not good at any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> So are we going to see your smiling face on TV a little bit more in the next year or so? Yes, sir. We actually have a new show coming out. It's called Homes Next Generation. It airs April 17th at 9 p.m. on the DIY Network in the States. I'm really, really excited. It's going to be more... I'm going to be actually one of the hosts instead of in the background swinging You've been hammer. camera shy for years I know, now. I know. How they, did you overcome that? They finally got me. I don't think I had a choice. They're like, no, well, you're a home, so here's your job. Just <laughs> 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 shove me right into it. Well, that's good. So uh, I guess one final thought then. If you don't, for those who don't like folding laundry, I always do it on Sunday and I end up doing it, folding it while I'm watching The Walking Dead. Hey, well, actually, this Sunday is National Laundry Day, so your Sunday works perfectly. This Sunday is National yeah. Laundry Day. Okay. Just saying. Um, you said that was the last question. I have one more. <laughs> Wi-Fi enabled appliances? Yes. Okay. GE... Appliances came out with the top load pair and they're now Wi-Fi connecting. So you can get an app on your cell phone. Like right now, I extended my dry time, so my clothes don't have to be ironed. You can connect to your laundry. It lets you know when it's finished. You can you you can extend your dry time. It's amazing. You can store soap in it so I don't have to bend down to a cupboard to put more laundry detergent. What is it called? Laundry soap. 
They yeah. have a smart, yeah. they have a smart dispenser, so it holds it for months. It's perfect. That's neat. So, could, you, like, let's say you've got clothes in the dryer uh, that you that have been sitting there for a while, and you forgot about them. Which I do them. sometimes. So, can you can you act reactivate the dryer from your phone? Yeah. So, right now, I'm doing an interview with you two, and um, you know, I don't really always fold my clothes right away. So, okay. I a hundred percent have a load in my dryer. Yeah. I can pick up my phone and extend my dry time. So, when I get home, I can fold it, and I don't have to iron anything. That's neat. Our news guy Jeff Braun uh, calls his dryer his extra dresser. <laughs> <laughs> he just takes his clothes right out of there. So you know what? He thought ahead of time. He knew he was going to do it. He's a brilliant Smart guy. Planning. Saving steps. Yeah. Sherry, <laughs> so great to meet you. Thanks for coming to visit us. Thanks for having me. And again, when's the new show debut? April 17th, DIY Network. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shanley Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. And then-